Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about affordable housing. Guess what, folks? It is not affordable and hasn't been for quite some time. Joining me today is David Damshin. He is the CEO of Utah Housing Corporation. Also, Ariane Gibson from the Utah Housing Corp. She is the Vice President of Financial Services there. And Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants. And UACPA is the sponsor of Money Making Sense. We're always glad when I can get Susan on to keep me in line. So welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Good to be with you. Happy to be here today. All right. So I'm going to throw this out for either David or Ariane. What programs are available, if any, for people to help pay for their housing? Because whether you're renting or you're trying to buy a home, your payment is outrageous right now. Well, you said help pay. And there are programs like that. So Utah Housing Corporation is the state's housing finance agency. And so our focus is on the front end, if you will, when it comes to the financing of affordable rental housing. So we do um, also um, raise capital by issuing bonds and we use that capital to buy mortgages, which we service. So we're we're active in the helping people achieve home ownership side of things with housing. And we're active by financing developers. Uh, that's our primary role on the affordable rental housing side of things. And so we're, we're the state's uh, allocator of the federal low-income housing tax credit, which is a source of equity that is injected into these projects that developers build. Uh, and that, that equity makes it such that uh, debt is a relatively manageable, relatively small component uh, in the capital stack. And so that drives rents down. So that's obviously helping renters by um, uh, offering them significantly below rents right out of the gate. But aside from that, there are certain programs that I don't know much about, and, and maybe you all, uh, Susan or Ariane, you guys might not might know more about this than I do, but there are Section 8 vouchers that the federal government issues, and they're typically allocated or administered through how local housing authorities, uh, and those are provided to individuals as sort of rent assistance, um, project-based rent subsidy. Uh, we don't really uh, deal with that directly, although those Section 8 vouchers are considered by us when we finance those projects that actually have Section 8 vouchers as part of their revenue stream uh, to pay the bills. Okay, but back up just a bit. What is a Section 8 voucher, in case anybody doesn't know? Well, I think I just exhausted all that I know about Section 8 vouchers <laughs> with what I told you. <laughs> a Section 8 voucher is is there's a limited supply of them. I know that. And it is a, uh, a voucher for federal reimbursement. And it's, it's allocated by local housing authorities to individuals who demonstrate that they fall under, I mean, Section 8 vouchers are allocated to people that are what we might call very low income. Um, and um, Ariane, do you have anything that you would add to that? Um, sure. Yeah, the Section 8 program um, really is there to help subsidize your your rental payment for the landlord. And so um, at Utah Housing, we're helping build some of these multifamily residences so that a individual who might qualify can get into one of these 
units. So we've got um, a lot of new construction going on across the Salt Lake Valley and even in various um, pockets throughout the state to increase the supplies that there, there's more of these homes, more of these projects for individuals to be able to take these vouchers and be able to get into some of these. My experience with the affordable housing is that there just isn't a lot of it available. So why is it so hard to get affordable housing built or designated, you know, some older apartment buildings or something designated as lower rent? Well, it's, it's pretty simple economics, really. Um, we are able to, with these tax credits, and also we are, I don't want to dive too deeply into the weeds on you here, but uh, with one of the types of federal tax credits, um, those are paired with uh, the proceeds of tax-exempt bond issues, and we're the, the conduit issuer of those bonds on behalf of the developers. And so that gives developers access to lower-cost debt, which they can use along with the tax credits to finance multifamily housing. And again, that lowers uh, the, the amount of debt and the cost of debt that's associated with these uh, developments so that the rent is significantly below market. And by significantly below market, we have two, two categories or two types of federal tax credit, uh, a 4% and 9%. And just to give you some generalization here, uh, and, and this, let's step away from the Section 8 voucher piece, because we were talking about very low income people. We'll come back to that in a second. The vast majority of units that we produce with tax credits and with tax exempt bond proceeds um, are serving people that are at about 60% of area median income. So we, we refer to that as workforce housing. These are folks that don't need any kind of a federal subsidy to pay their rent. They earn enough to pay rent, but but when, when you're earning 60% of area median income, you're you know, you're working food service, um, uh, services in general, you're a laborer, you know, that kind of a thing. You're working full time, um, but if you're at 60% of area median income, you might not be able to buy a, buy a home just yet. And, so, and so that's that's one type of tax credit that we use. And then the other is the 9%. That's used for uh, very low income individuals. And, and even some of what we do with that tax credit is what's called permanent supportive housing, which is designed to um, provide stable, clean housing for people that have been chronically homeless and that need wraparound uh, supportive services, people that have significant behavioral and or substance abuse challenges in their lives. So just to give a real world example, let's pretend for a moment in Utah, our average income is $100,000. You're talking about the people at 60% who are only making $60,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And so they can't afford the same housing costs as the person making $100,000 a year. That's right. And, and now I'm going to circle back and answer your question. Why can't, why don't we have enough of it? We're using every dollar that we can get of the federal tax credits and those private, those tax exempt private activity bonds. They're limited. Uh, each state gets a certain allocation each year of the 9% tax credit. And then we get a certain allocation each year of the tax exempt private activity bonds that we use for affordable housing to, to borrow tax exempt. And there's just not enough of that. Uh, that's why we're, we're really hoping that the, uh, not to get political on you, but the tax package that passed the House of Representatives last week is now going to be considered by the U.S. Senate. And we're hopeful that will pass because there are two provisions in that tax package 
that would give us a bit of a bump uh, on the tax credits as well as a bit of a bump on the tax exempt bonds. So we'd be able to produce incrementally more units if that legislation passes. And we've been advocating with our congressional delegation for that. What do you consider affordable housing? What price is considered affordable? Yeah, that's a great question. Generally, we in the in the housing space consider someone to be housing cost burdened if their cost of housing exceeds 30%. Now, that doesn't mean that, I mean, we have some of the single family activities and programs that we have, we're financing folks uh, that might have upwards of 50% uh, debt as a percent of their total income, net income. But th that would be people that have really clean credit history, that have some savings, liquidity, and some sources of financial strength that can handle maybe a little bit higher debt load. But really, uh, we, we would love to see uh, more people in this country paying no more than 30% for their for their housing costs, but the reality is uh, so many people are stressed with costs much higher than 30% for their housing. I would say that the last four years with the pandemic and the cost of housing just skyrocketing across all sectors, our pay did not keep up with that. So in January of 2020, I may have been right at the 30% mark, but then my rent just went up exponentially and I'm not making any more money, but my rent is there. So do I now all of a sudden qualify for to get federal assistance or state assistance to help with my rent? Well, I think the answer for most people is going to be no, unfortunately, uh, because that federal rent assistance is only available to people at the very, very low end. Section 8 vouchers or Social Security or, or uh, SSD, things like that might be the only, the only source of income that they have. And so um, to, to receive federal rent assistance, you have to you have to be pretty, pretty low on the income scale down in that below 43 percent of area median income to qualify for that. And we're again, we're not experts on Section 8 vouchers. We don't administer those. Those are handled through the state's housing and community uh, development division, as well as local housing authorities. So we just look at the. When we finance the, the projects up front with tax credits, we do take into consideration what proportion of the project's total revenues will be uh, from vouchers. And those are always um, included in the documentation that we receive when we're financing these projects. Okay, we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll get a bit more and we're probably going into the weeds here, as David mentioned, into <laughs> affordable housing or lack thereof. So we'll be right back with David Damshin. He is the CEO of Utah Housing Corporation. We also have Arianne Gibson, the Vice President of Financial Services for Utah Housing Corp. And Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA, and she's going to join in on the next segment. Welcome back to My Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way, money-wise. We're talking about it today. It is affordable housing. Actually, I, I really have to call this the lack of affordable housing. <laughs> and I am joined by a couple people from Utah Housing Corporation, the CEO, David Damshin, and also the Vice President of Financial Services, Arianne Gibson. And then keeping us all in line to help us with our taxes is Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Ariane, I want to start with you on this segment. If I am in need of paying for rent or mortgage, you know, the costs have been skyrocketing, my pay isn't keeping up. What is the first step that I need to do when I come to you to ask for help? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're looking for assistance with your rent, um, working with your local housing authority, whether it's a county or a city, is your best um, option. You can also um, work with uh, the Department of Workforce Services and talk with some of them on some of their resources and programs there. Um, if you're um, already in a home and you're struggling to make your payments, reach out to your lender, your mortgage company, and talk with them about some various programs that they may be able to op offer. You know, we as a servicer of mortgages, we want to keep our um, borrowers in their homes. And so we're always trying to find um, federal programs and other ways to modify their mortgages to keep people in their homes and not to get to the foreclosure or other methods there. And then if you're if you're not if you're a renter and you're looking to buy a home, we have some really great first time home buyer programs for individuals. Um, we we do a down payment assistance. It's an additional like a second mortgage for homeowners. And so you can really come to the table with um, zero down and take out these mortgages with us and be able to get into your first home. Um, and then there's also some really great state programs right now for our law enforcement officers. There's a grant program out there. And then for first time home buyers who are getting into new construction, we have some um, some zero percent interest bearing loans from the state of about twenty thousand dollars to help you get into that home, whether that's buying down the interest rate or using it for your down payment. Um, these are some really good programs that are available to individuals and um, helping them achieve home ownership, which in the long run will kind of shield you from these changes in market. When you have a fixed rate mortgage and a fixed rate payment, you're not subject to what's happening with rents out there that are rising exponentially. You're, you're able to kind of keep your home price or your, your mortgage payment consistent. How does the bank or lender make money off of the 0% interest that you just mentioned? The first time home buyer assistance program is actually a um, appropriation from the state of Utah. They've set aside last year $50 million as a pool for helping increase the supply of new construction um, affordable homes. So the homes have to be under $450,000. And um, they have to have never been lived in before. And it's really just a access to money for citizens in the state to get into their first home and have that opportunity. So as far as making money, there's really not necessarily that intent there. It's, it's coming from the state and intended to help um, Utah citizens right now who are struggling to, to get into that first home. That is so sad that a starter home is now anything below 450,000. I remember when starter homes were 125,000. Yeah, it was not very long ago that that was, you know, what our mortgage portfolio looked like. So how many more people are you seeing ask for these services over the last few years? We haven't really worked with individuals on the new construction side. Usually we've been dealing with individuals in their first time homebuyer program, but we've seen we've seen an influx of individuals coming to our programs and trying to get into those first homes. 
Well, the thought that crosses my mind, and I don't know if this answers your question, but uh, to illustrate really how challenging things are now relative to how things were just several years ago, under Arianne's and, and the rest of our team's leadership in, in years past, we were helping more than 4,000 families a year attain home ownership. And with the rise in interest rates and home prices we've seen in recent years, we've seen that uh, cut in half, more than cut in half. And so overall, we're struggling to serve as many people as we used to just because it is getting harder. I think that this first-time homebuyer program is helping. I think uh, certainly we want to see some moderation in interest rates to help us out. Um, we, we just we need to see a better balance between supply and demand. And we have this nagging significant uh, deficiency in housing supply uh, particularly that which is affordable. And um, so it's, it's a very challenging environment, especially uh, considering the robust economic growth that we're experiencing as a state. You have new employers coming into the state and wanting to bring uh, people uh, that need housing for their families. And so it's a good problem to have, as they say, but it's a real problem uh, in terms of the housing side. Susan, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but to David's point, Yes, we do have more employers coming into the state, but I think it's because we still are operating at minimum wage. Not that every single one of these companies is only paying minimum wage, but when you have like 25 or 26 states now that have risen their minimum wage to 15 or $16 an hour, you're going to have more companies come flooding into states that don't require that. So what are you seeing, Susan, on, on that end? I want to say in 2023, I think Utah had a 1.1% growth rate. So while we're seeing people flooding into the state, what we're trying to do economically is bring in those higher paying jobs. We don't necessarily as a state want minimum wage type jobs. I mean, we have people that we're bringing in, let's say from for Silicon Slopes type jobs for our high tech, for our professionals. And, and those people minimum wage certainly wouldn't apply to. So while Utah is known for a lower wage paying state, we've had to really come up quite a bit. I mean, I'm seeing in, in, in my own profession, in the CPA profession, I mean, we, we've really had to step up to the plate and increase wages across the board. So I, I think that we're becoming more and more competitive with other states and other regions around the nation. And that's helped a lot. It's, it's helped in that regard, but maybe from a housing standpoint, it's made it worse because we have these people coming in. And in some cases, there, there are literally no houses to buy because there is no land to build on. You got to remember, Utah's owned 70% by the federal government, if you look from a, you know, from a land standpoint. So David, you had mentioned just before we got started that when you took over as CEO of Utah Housing Corp, we were just coming into the housing crisis. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's really kind of pointing to the where this really starts is the global financial crisis uh, back in 2007 and 8. Well, the mortgage industry blew up the global economy. <laughs> Uh, to, to oversimplify things, and uh, we blew up the, the uh, home construction industry. We had underproduction of housing units for better than 10 years. 
And so this, this massive gap in supply has been growing and growing for a pretty long time. And it, it hit crisis mode, particularly when we started seeing uptick in housing starts and construction activity, but also we had the pandemic and massive dislocations in supply chain um, and inflation kicked in, as we all know now, in a big way. And then what does the Fed need to do to address inflation? They need to rapidly increase the cost of money. And that means uh, it's very, very difficult now with both high cost money and high cost real estate, high cost housing for people to, to find affordable housing. It's just it's just sort of a, a very um, challenging confluence of macroeconomic factors. And we're this is this is a national, even global phenomenon. It's not just Utah that's dealing with this housing crisis uh, in affordability. But I, I would say because of the robust economic growth that we have and a number of other factors, and, and Susan pointed out, we have geographic uh, constraints. We have the Wasatch Front. Uh, obviously, the vast majority of our population is concentrated on the Wasatch Front, but we have all these mountains to the east and we have all that water to the west. And um, so we can't just, just we can't just spread out like Denver. Um, and so that has some impact on land or the cost of land. And um, so there's a number of things in play. Um, and as Susan pointed out too, th this is somewhat helpful that the economic growth that we're seeing, um, you know, those employers that we've heard most, most about coming into the state are like Northrop Grumman, defense contractor, Texas Instruments, technology. So as Susan pointed out, these are not companies that are coming here for low wage workers. These are companies coming here that are actually paying high wages. They're coming here for other reasons. We have a very well-educated workforce. Uh, we have a very business-friendly uh, environment. And so that's why they're coming. And actually, and Susan, I think, touched on this, uh, we used to be one of the lowest wage states, and we're actually picking up a lot of ground. And uh, we're, and we're, we're third doing much lowest. better. Uh, <laughs> are we the third lowest, Susan? No, she's pulling your leg. Uh, <laughs> no, we're, we really are. We're moving up. I, I would say that we're inching towards the middle of the pack. If that sounds will. about right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. With the more people coming in for these higher wage jobs, isn't that pushing out more and more people who might have been able to afford housing? Yeah, that's a source of demand, certainly. And, and so anytime you have demand that's, that's um, well in excess of supply, and that is a source of incremental demand, yes, for sure. And that's part of our problem. So everybody stop coming to Utah. Is that the message? <laughs> <laughs> and, and stop having babies, everyone. Yes. Uh, and not, neither, of, neither of those things are going to happen. So we've got we've got to deal with it somehow. <laughs> We need to take one more break when we come back. Well, <laughs> we need to figure out how do we solve this or is there a way to solve it? So we'll be right back with Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA, Ariane Gibson, the Vice President of Financial Services for Utah Housing Corporation, and David Damshin, who is the CEO of Utah Housing Corporation. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we are talking about the lack of affordable housing. I am joined by David Damshin, the CEO of Utah Housing Corp., 
Ariane Gibson, the Vice President of Financial Services at Utah Housing Corporation, and Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. Susan, I want to start with you on this one. As far as taxes are concerned, if people are getting assistance to help pay for their housing, how does that affect their taxes or does it? Short answer, it doesn't. Like the loan that Ariane was, you know, the down payment. Yeah. That's not income to them. That's a legal obligation they have to pay. There's no interest expense, if you will, that they can deduct on their tax return as they try to, you know, add up numbers for itemized deductions. So, so it really is, these programs really are geared towards getting people, first-time homeowners into homes or get people the assistance that they need. They are not reportable taxable items. Okay, so Ariane, you had mentioned that there is limited amounts of assistance available. I mean, 50 million that Utah got last year, that seems like a lot, but that is still limited in terms of how many more people will still need assistance, but can't get it because the funds have run out or the Section 8, those are on a limited basis as well. Is there a way to ask for more of these or how do we get more to help more people? Because it seems to me that's one way to help solve the affordable housing crisis, aside from just having everybody lower their prices, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, a lack of supply is one big thing here in Utah, as we've been talking about, you know, people coming in and having more housing needs. And so the the first time homebuyer program that the state put out was really intended to spark the demand from um, not the demand, but the supply from the home builders to build more affordable units, to give uh, people the real starter homes that you saw in the 90s and, you know, earlier decades. Um, you don't need every bell and whistle to come with the home to be able to get people into their first homes. And so um, this limited supply from the state, you know, we still have it available. It's available maybe for another year or so as as people come in to use it. Um, but as far as, you know, finding additional resources, I know David is always up there at the Capitol with the legislature in session right now and working with them to see and align our um, ability to help in the affordable housing space with along with the governor's initiatives and plans for the state. And so trying to find where there is um, government assistance, making sure we get it to those right um, those right areas. Why yeah, do I we think... have to entice builders to build affordable housing? You've talked about giving the cutting their interest rates on the costs for them to build the bill. Why do we have to entice them? Why can't they just build affordable housing? Well, Ariane, I don't know how you would answer that. I mean, there's a demand side answer and a supply right. side answer, and they're both they're both part of the overall answer. Demand the demand side answer is back before interest rates and, and, and cost of land and prices got out of control, when it was affordable for young families to buy three bedrooms, two baths on a quarter acre, that's all, that's what we've always expected. That's what we've demanded. How many young families bought their first home and had an unfinished basement, maybe four bedrooms? It was actually affordable. So on the demand side, we have a culture and a society that says, here's what the starter home looks like. It has two-car garage and all these things. Well, if you talk to people that bought their first home back in 1950, 
you know, after the end of World War II, they'll tell you they didn't have a garage. They had a carport and they had two bedrooms and one bath. And that was a starter home. Well, the economics have changed on us. And so our expectations on the demand side need to change. I think people need to understand that maybe the, the right starter home is a townhome or a condo or something quite small without a garage and only two bedrooms. And that's the starter home. Once again, we're, we're back to 1950, maybe. That's the demand side answer to the question. The supply side answer is it's a lot more profitable for builders to build $800,000 homes than it is for builders to build $300,000 homes. So builders, you know, they've been successfully producing that kind of supply and the, there's been sufficient demand to, to buy it up uh, up to this point. And that's why we're kind of incentivizing builders to maybe do a little bit more for us on the starter movement of the spectrum. Okay. Hey, you don't have to like the answers, but I'll still <laughs> give them to you. <laughs> you know, but David, you make some, you make some great points there. I mean, for years that that was the space that I practiced in and both answers are really good. The supply side and the demand side. And I think that when you're used to something, it's really tough to take a step down and say, you know what? I need to back off a minute, go into something smaller that I can better afford, you know, from a home buyer standpoint, but from a contractor standpoint, it's hard for them to say, geez, I'm used to building these $750,000, $800,000 homes. And now you're wanting me to do what? You're wanting me to build a $450,000 home? It's, it's really tough. And the, the mar, you know, the margins are a lot slimmer and there's no room for error. I mean, there's really not a room for error if somebody frames the wall wrong, if you, if you will, you know, so it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough battle we're fighting right now. Heather, back to your question about ask for more. I just want to address that at the state level. Um, Ariane talked about the $50 million appropriation of the first time homebuyer program. So that's targeting uh, home ownership. On the affordable rental housing, housing side of things, we did have a state low-income housing tax credit historically, very small. Last year, in the 2023 general session of the legislature, they boosted that the size of that tax credit like 10 times. That state tax credit kind of flies under the radar because it's a little bit arcane to talk about and understand, like how do those dollars find their way into affordable housing? But that's the, that's the reality of it is we've, we asked for a lot more last year and we got it. At the federal level, um, again, this tax pass package that passed in the, in the U.S. House last week has a couple of provisions in it that will uh, boost the level of federal resources that we're able to allocate into affordable rental housing. So we're out there asking for whatever we can get. And here and there, both the federal and state government are stepping in and, and, and helping out. As you know, the, the federal uh, budget and size of federal debt are beyond problematic at this point. And so, it's, of course, it's getting harder and harder to uh, to have them step up. And, and we know that the state uh, budget and revenue picture is challenged this year as well. So um, it's 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 a tough it's a tough time, uh, but we keep working and we keep asking. I did want to put in really quickly for anybody who may not know what the, the numbers are as far as being 30 percent of a sort of a lower income wage earner or a medium wage earner, as you said, if your salary is $50,000 in Utah, which is somewhat typical, some are making a lot higher, but many are making lower than that. But if you're at $50,000, if you're paying $1,225 a month, that's about 30% of mm. your income. 
And I have not seen a $1,200 apartment for rent for five, six years now. They, they just don't exist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's the reality is, is a lot of people are significantly burdened by their cost of housing. And so that's why we're, we're talking more and hearing more about rising food insecurity. You know, when you have to pick and choose between housing and healthcare and food, um, it's a very challenging time. Anybody else with any other ideas or what else Utah in particular, since we're in Utah right now, is doing to help with people being able to afford their housing? Or do we just start all over again with a different system? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, you know, as individuals, I mean, there, there are certain a lot of factors that we can't control, which makes this harder. But I think that, you know, as David was saying, if you kind of use that 30% as your magic mark, even at a young age, as you're starting your apartment dwelling while you're going to school or whatever, set yourself up personally so that you can be able to, when you're ready, go into that home ownership, not only eyes wide open, but maybe with some, with that extra, some extra funding in your back pocket to be able to help you get into that home. Ariane, would you have any tips for anybody who might need some help? Well, I'm just thinking as, you know, in general, as we're looking at the change in housing affordability, um, really changing our mindsets toward housing affordability. And I'm thinking about the, the not in my backyard type of mentality that maybe we have here in Utah to some of these denser homes and in apartment complexes and think about that in the context of your city and your area, because in order to, to fit more housing here across the Wasatch Front, we do have to look at some of those um, trade-offs when it comes to affordable housing. And so as you're talking with your city council people and other people um, in those type of positions, just be aware of, you know, how that affects the ability for affordable housing in your local community. David? Well, stay hopeful and be creative. Um, it's really important that people understand that there, there are young families, young individuals achieving home ownership every single day, and we're helping them make it happen here at Utah Housing Corporation. Don't, don't turn away and, and just assume because you don't have a down payment that you can't achieve home ownership because we're here, as Arianne discussed earlier, as a housing finance agency to provide down payment assistance and help people that don't have a down payment to be able to buy a home. And we all know how important it is to a family in terms of their long-term financial stability and wealth building potential to become homeowners. And not everybody will become a homeowner and not everybody wants to be a homeowner, but if it's if it's your goal and, and you want to, to achieve homeownership, it can be done. And sometimes a little creativity is involved, but certainly knowing what the resources are out there uh, there's down payment assistance, not only that we provide, but it can also be uh, accessed through local governments. Um, right now, Davis County has a special down payment assistance program. Other municipalities have similar programs. Um, so there's there are possibilities out there. Uh, work hard, protect your personal credit. Like Susan said, you know, get yourself ready. You know, if, if you're working towards achieving home ownership, there are things that you can do to position yourself to be ready when the time comes. And over the long term, you know, we're talking about how things are right now. Uh, they will get better. I mean, there's there's always uh, sort of a 
uh, reversion to the mean, as we call it, where um, things normalize, interest rates will will normalize, uh, home prices will normalize. We already know that rents are coming coming off a little bit. Uh, some market rate rental units uh, they're having to offer incentives to get people in. So there are growing but small indications of uh, relaxing, if you will, in the tightness of the housing market. It's getting better slowly. It will continue to get better. Thank you so much, everyone. We've been talking about the lack of affordable housing, but there are programs out there that can help you a bit. It depends on your situation as to how how much that will help you. But you know, look for, as David said, locally, your county level, your state level, and federally to see if you can get some assistance. So thank you so much, Ariane Gibson. You're the Vice President of Financial Services for Utah Housing Corporation. David Damshin is the CEO of Utah Housing Corporation. And Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of CPAs. You are the sponsor of Money Making Sense. And thank you to everyone for having this discussion with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great conversation, guys. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.